This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you from the great folks over at Gamesurplus.com, bringing the world of board games to you. Now, on to the show. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 92, Kepler 3042. Coming to you from the pre-advent of holiday gaming preparation to HQ, <laughs> welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. Thanksgiving was amazing, as always. Yeah, we're not hurting for food we during never, during that week. Not that week, no. Because we're pretty good about eating leftovers all week. Yeah. Because I don't know how to make enough for a meal. <laughs> no, you for, know how to make enough for an army. I, I do. That's true. So mm-hmm. not to go over every single thing that we made, but uh, made chipotle sweet potatoes as is my tradition mm-hmm. however you and the rest of the house yes we wanted had regular sweet yeah, potatoes. regular candied sweet potatoes which they were tasty yeah uh they weren't too sweet they really weren't yeah my, they ha- dana had a like a streusel type topping on top it was really which could have done without to oh, be honest I was with the you best part. but the uh, chipotle sweet potatoes have just enough sweetness and enough heat to just really i i love them they're right. my favorite way of making sweet potatoes the turkey turned out pretty good. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to do a turkey, but... We well, always say that, and then we always have a turkey. Right. So, yeah, you know. And I brought, I bought a couple extra turkey breasts because I was going to make uh, turkey noodle soup with matzo balls, mm-hmm. as I do for some of the leftovers, homemade cranberry sauce, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, turned out really good. Yeah, it was delicious. And we uh, had Bev over. She... Drove up from Arkansas and stayed with us for a couple days before Thanksgiving and a couple days after. And it was nice to have the big ball of energy that is Bev around the house. Yep, that was uh, <laughs> that was a lot. No, that was a lot of fun. We we played a lot of games. We did. Uh, so that was that was good. And it was it was cool to meet her. It was. It was nice. You were still making up sleep from BGG Con. I was. You owed the Sandman a lot of time. <laughs> but I, I think he and I are square now. I think y'all least. are good. Yeah, it took a while, but I think y'all are finally good. So on Thursday night after we ate, you headed off to sleep because you were falling asleep in the chair. And Matt, Dana, and Bev and I put on some Christmas music and put up the tree and decorated it. And then we, it's, we're all Christmased up. And then we sat around and talked for like two or three hours. And I laid down and snored for yep. 10 hours. Uh-huh. It was wonderful. <laughs> now the house looks good, so I'm glad you guys did it. So thanks for taking that on. Absolutely. So this is going to be an insane month for the amount of quantity of quality, quantity, Q stuff we're going to be putting out. Yeah, the it's, it's definitely ludicrous speed when it comes to both quality and quantity yeah. of content. So we are going to be doing the advent of holiday gaming or Mm -hmm. holiday streaming, whatever. 24 streams, 24 days. So it's going to start Friday, so tomorrow, with Clans of Caledonia. So come join us. It's definitely going to be a ton of work, but hopefully a lot of fun as well. As long as a lot of people come around, watch them, help motivate us, keep us our energy up, yeah. especially as the month goes on. Absolutely. Around like the 15th, we're probably going to be pretty sleepy. So if you guys could <laughs> give us some like, go, yay, type things, I think that'll help. All that said, we are not going to neglect the podcast. Not so at all. We have the following coming for the podcast. We have week the weekly reviews, hello, like this, plus first look podcasts or pod blasts, more SN interviews, my conversations with Heavy Cardboard with Michael Keller, who's the designer of Agra, Lagranha, and Solarius Mission, and possibly some other pod blasts here and there, which is where y'all are going to come in. If there is something specific that you guys want, email us and let us know, and we'll see if we can add it. If not during the advent of holiday gaming, then definitely something afterwards. But it's possible we might could do it during. Never know. So it's it's... The impetus is on you all to let us know what it is you would like to hear. Mm-hmm. 
You can email us at contact at heavycardboard.com or you can send us a message through our website at heavycardboard.com. Secret Elephant Santa is in full swing. Yes, the Secret Elephant is going strong. There's been a number of updates. People have already got packages and open packages and already played some of their games. Right. There's a geek list over on BGG. Uh, I forget the title of it. It's like what my Secret Elephant got me. 2017, right? Something like that. So definitely uh, pretty cool to see that folks are already getting their packages and that there's a lot of people that are really in the spirit of what this is, which is the giving and the teasing and the the riddling and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's really awesome to read how above and beyond. And I'm not talking by quantity of gifts or anything. Sure, there are some folks out there that are really, really going whole hog when it comes to the gift giving itself. But I'm talking more the process of this and just the spirit of what yeah. this is about. I think it's really awesome to read about how just into this a lot of people are which is awesome it's always fun to see all that stuff and read about it and the day that the targets were announced matt got an e a geek mail saying your stuff's on the way and it's here already and yeah so it his his secret elephant didn't mess around it is seriously i have reached out to my targets and uh my my secret elephant has reached out to me to touch base. So as long as there's an initial contact, then we're good to go. Yeah. Just, hey, you're not forgotten about, don't worry. Yeah, that's, that type thing. Yeah, that's always good to hear because <laughs> you're like, um. <laughs> hello, anybody there? Knock, knock. Hello, hello. Davis, hello, are you there? Hello. On that note, for the holiday shopping in general, don't forget. Game Surplus offers a 10% discount to all patrons. Yep. There's a code for if you are a patron of Heavy Cardboard, you get a flat 10% off all the uh, Heavy Cardboard podcast picks mm-hmm. on their website. So check that out. And if that motivates you to become a patron, all the better. Absolutely. And then also for patrons, if you purchase a table from BoardGameTables.com, then send them an email letting them know that you're a patron. And then we verify that information. They will send you a free poker chip tray. So on that note, I had a, uh, <laughs> I talked to Katie and Chad when I was at BGGCon and they were like, oh, the quantity of your patrons that ordered Duchess tables during the Kickstarter that have been emailing us is not a trivial number. I think when they originally said this, they meant for the custom tables, not for the Duchess tables. But oh well, here we are. (laughs) And so all that, plus there's 10% off inserts over at Meeple Realty. If you use the code HC17, and then... There's our stuff. Yep. All our swag has finally made it to HCHQ. So here we go. Game bags, polo shirts, ball caps, challenge coins, cloissonne pins, ooh. Ooh. coffee mugs, pint glasses, badge holders, and the patron-only t-shirts designed by the Ian O'Toole will be ready around the new year or so. Really, really excited to see what he comes up with. I cannot wait to see this. He gets to play single dad for a while, so he's yeah. he's been a bit inundated with things. Mm-hmm. So totally understand that. No worries. I'm just excited that we have a, a ballpark time frame now in right. which to expect this because we don't know what he's going to design no. either. It's not like we're holding this back right. from folks. No, we have absolutely no idea. But in Ian, we trust. Exactly. Let's talk about a little bit what we've been playing. We talked about earlier about how when Bev was here, we played a lot more games than normal, which was awesome. Yeah. Well... A lot more games than we had been. I, the, the new normal, the but new not, normal, right? not the getting back to normal. Right. Anyway, moving on. So we streamed Vinos on Tuesday. I got trounced, but that's You okay. did, but that was, I think that was important for you to get smoked as hard as you did. You know what? No, because I looked at the app and Edward thinks I've won like 15 games in a row. And it was like, I won like two and then you won three or four and then I won one. And Really? Then, yeah. It felt like you had won like eight or 10 in a row. Mm-mm. No, no, no exaggeration. Not even a little bit. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, in that case, I apologize. Well, thank you. I know you were a little nervous leading up to the teach of that. Yeah. I had to knock the rust off after having not streamed a game. Now, I... I talked on but camera different. but yeah the teaching of a game that that requires a little bit 
je ne sais quoi. Yes. And it's not an easy teach to begin with, but our patrons voted for that for the game in November and that was going to be the only opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we had to do it. And you know, you probably did a pretty good job teaching the game whenever the designer is in the chat room and gives you props. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So I, he said he wasn't going to be there, but knowing Vitzal, he doesn't sleep anyway. I knew he would be there. And I told so, you, and you were like, no, it's too late. And then he popped up in chat and I was like, ah. It was like three, four in the morning or so in Portugal. And after the teach, he was like, no, great job. I, I teach the uh, fair when that comes up as well. So you did well. And I was like, oh, okay. Not bad for coming back into it cold <laughs> like that and then having that happen. So that was cool to see. All right. So obviously there's Vinos. And then obviously Kepler 3042 in anticipation of the review. And then a bunch of Essen games. There was Lagerstatten, which we're going to be streaming as part of the advent on Saturday. That's right. Noria, likely to be streamed later in the month. Keeper, we're going to have a first look uh, for both Noria and Keeper coming Mm -hmm. up later for next week. So look for those. But also more that we're going to probably uh, live stream during the uh, during the advent. Clans of Caledonia, which again, we're going to live stream that on Friday. First one. Feudalia. Yeah. Which again, we're gonna have another first look on the pod on the podcast for that kind of a Dominion esque type game. Yeah, it was interesting. And then, last but not least, Pixie Queen. Which I'll be honest, the theme no. However, the game itself brutal. Yes, it is, and in the best way possible. It's so oh, yeah, it's yeah. great. Another first look coming for that. So yep. stay tuned on that. Big thank you to our sponsor, BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a customized, one-of-a-kind board game table, go check them out, BoardGameTables.com. Let's go to space. Far out, dude. Yeah. All right, Kepler 3042, published in 2016 and 2017. Designed by Simone Cerruti Sola, the artwork in the second edition by Quanchai Moria, and published this year by Renegade Games, originally by Placentia Games. I'm mentioning that because we're going to be referencing both games throughout this review, uh, and so just to give credit to both sides there. Plays one to four players in about 60 to 90 minutes, give or take a little bit. As far as availability and cost, the good news is is according to the press release from Renegade Games, the MSRP is going to be 65 bucks, and it's going to be available at least here in the States mm-hmm. November 13th, or I'm sorry, December 13th. So just a couple weeks from now. As far as plays and player counts, we've only played the Renegade Games version once. Right. However, we played the Placentia Games version, I don't know, five or six times. A lot. Yeah, we played that a lot last year. And mechanically they're identical mm-hmm. games it's all graphic yeah. work that changed in some in the rule book uh the f- format and all that changed so that said we've played it three and four players haven't played it solo and did not play this two player we didn't the year is 3042 humanity is ready to explore the galaxy the most interesting celestial bodies to explore and eventually colonize have been known for centuries and the nations of earth finally have the technological level to reach them thus beginning an unarmed competition that in the end, the whole of humanity will win. Kepler 3042 is a resource management game in which you have to explore, colonize, and exploit, well, and terraform the planets of the Milky Way using the available technologies. Each round, you're going to choose which action to perform, which bonus to activate, if any, while managing your supplies of matter, energy, and antimatter. The peculiar strength of the game is the innovative resource management. Each player has a finite amount of matter, energy, and antimatter that they can produce or spend during the game. In each of the 16 rounds, they can decide to burn forever one or more resources to perform actions, thereby allowing them to follow different strategies. And as I said, 16 rounds. At the end of 16 rounds, you're going to tally up a marginally small amount of victory Mm -hmm. points. Whoever has the most victory points at the end wins. 
So let's roll straight into the five factors that give the game its weight, starting with complexity or the rules overhead. This is not a complex game. The rules aren't crazy, and they don't add to the weight, in my opinion. No, I, I totally agree with that. There's low overhead, and everything makes sense. It's an intuitive mm-hmm. design uh, in just across the board. Yeah, just it doesn't... You don't have to really reference the rule book because what you feel like you should be doing is what you should be doing because it just kind of has a, na- a natural flow to it. Now, talking about the planning, the fact that you only get one action per round, which means 16 rounds, 16 actions with the possibility of some bonus actions, but they come with a cost that to be able to do more than a single true objective, you really need to plan from the very beginning of the game. This isn't something to where you're like, oh, you know, I'll just do this and do this Mm -hmm. and then I'll figure it out as I go. If you do that, and your opponents are on the other side of that to where they're planning from the very beginning, you're going to likely get smoked. Yeah, because because of the fact that you are burning your finite number of resources to be able to do those extra actions, what happens if you didn't think far enough ahead and you need five matter to terraform this planet, but you can't because you burned one five or six rounds ago because you thought it might be a cool idea to do. Yeah, exactly. You can't do that. Yeah, so the level of planning in this game is deceptively strong as far as the amount of planning that should go into this Mm -hmm. to do well in Kepler. Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as the the luck or the randomness in the game, so there are essentially three different random factors. However, two of them are pre-game. The way the planets are in the mines Mm -hmm. and everything else like that, the celestial bodies, the way those are distributed, that's all Mm pregame. So that's all set up beforehand. Although you don't know what's going to be where until you explore it during the actual actions as taking actions in the game. So there is some randomness where things end up. There's the end game goal cards. But again, those are distributed Mm pregame. So you know it going in. And then there's the progress cards that happen before every round. Now, those progress cards really are can be trivial if you're not lagging behind on the two Mm -hmm. advancement tracks, because a lot of them tend to be tied to that. And if you tend to, you know, fast forward your way up those tracks or up technologies, then they're not really going to help you. They're more or less catch up mechanics for the players that are behind. So eh, I would say that kind of drags down as far as the weight goes Mm -hmm. because of those factors. That, and then we'll talk a little bit later about another catch-up mechanic that there is in the game. But those, like you said, those progress cards, once you get to a certain point, they're just kind of useless. A lot in in many ways, or they're they're minor adjustments. Mm -hmm. Even if they are, they do affect you, they're minor adjustments. So I don't feel like there is a huge factor in the game, but I definitely don't think they're contributing to the weight of the game. I would say, if anything, it reduces a little bit of the weight of the game. I would agree with that. Now, as far as game length goes, what do you got? It feels like in order to do everything that you know you want to do or need to do, it seems like it should have more rounds. You get to that 16th round and it's like, Yeah, 16 rounds sounds like a lot, and it gives that appearance of a long game with plenty of time to do everything (laughs) until you're actually, oh, wow, how are we halfway through the game, and I really haven't Mm -hmm. done much. Yeah. What's my secret objective? Right. Wow, I have eight rounds to do that? (laughs) So it sneaks up on you. So I don't think the, I think the game length here might contribute a little bit to the weight, but in a non-traditional way. It's not because the game length is, you know, a really long game. It's the fact that, wow, 16 rounds, that sounds pretty significant. But it's, but it's not, sneaky yeah. in that it goes back to that planning to where you really, you have to make use of all of those mm-hmm. 16 turns. That's a really good point. So the game length, I think, actually adds to yeah. the weight, but again, not in, not in the way you would it think. takes, it takes forever to play not this in, game. Yeah, not in the way you would think. It's because the amount of planning you have to do, you have to just squeeze that exactly into 16 rounds. Right. If the game had been 20 rounds, then eh, whatever. Yeah. But I think the 16 is... is you can have a... If, it, if there's tough. more, 
there's more than that. You can maybe have a couple of rounds where you're not really quite sure. Maybe this will work. Nah. But with 16, You no. better be on point yeah. with that. As far as the getting it factor. I'd say one or two rounds, but it can help to see a planet be colonized. And ha- the terraforming mm-hmm. and, and being clear on, okay, production is at the top of the yeah, card, terraforming's yeah. at the bottom of the card. But that can all be explained during teaching, but just to have it kind of driven mm-hmm. home in your head. But it's definitely going to be inside of one play. However, I do feel it's very, very important for whoever teaches the game to make sure, and I'm going to touch on this later, that... To make sure that players are aware of the end game scoring because they need to know what they're shooting yeah. for. It's There's no track. It's as is popular the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. There's a score pad and a bunch of different things score. Yeah. So you need to be aware of those. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, where do you think it falls? To me, it's midweight, um, medium-ish. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you there. However... It has a BGG weight rating of 3.46 out of 5, which is a really yeah. high heavy weight. I mean, it's pretty grossly overstated in my opinion. And I'm not saying that because we come from the perspective of heavy gamers. But that's on par with stuff like Keyflower and Twilight Struggle, both of which are considerably heavier in this game. Yeah. Now, I understand that I'm putting an emphasis in the amount of planning but it's still not that heavy. It's not that heavy, no. I would say this is more on par with a Rococo type game. Yeah, I can oh, see that. Or maybe just a hair above a Castles of Burgundy. Yeah. So it's definitely not as high as is rated on BGG. Yeah, I, I disagree with that rating. So let's talk about the cardboard. What do you think about the components? Yeah, I think in both editions, it's really, really solid. I don't have really any complaints. The The wood, they're either wooden cubes or wooden discs. Uh, in the second edition, they do have nice little custom uh, figures for, for your spaceships. Mm-hmm. So that that's a nice touch. So as far as the the cardboard and the uh, and the wood, I feel like that's pretty good. Yeah, pretty solid. Yeah, I, unspectacular, but that's okay. That that's fine. One other thing that I like about it is that the player aid is nice and thick and chunky, just like the rest of the cardboard. Yeah, as opposed to like a card stock or anything that's easy to ding and dent or whatever. Yeah, you have to throw that thing across the room to dent it. And it it might stick in your wall still. (laughs) However, the cards, eh, they're they're kind of a thinner core. It feels like they're not linen finish, whatever. My big beef, though. Is that they're black bordered. Yes. Stop doing that, publishers. Please. Please. I don't care how little cards are shuffled. They will show where. So you're all but forcing players that are going to try and replay your game. You're going to force them to sleeve them. I don't mind sleeving. I don't want to be forced to sleeve my cards because of that. So please stop doing that, everyone. Please. The board is a little... Little crazy in that it folds like six times. It, it there, there's probably a couple of uh, it could have been a less segmented board. We had a hard time actually making it stay flat yeah. in the second edition. Uh, I we actually have had it sitting under plexiglass with antiquity and other games to try and flatten it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, whatever, not a huge deal, but figure. Might want to bring that up to folks. Yeah, you might want to have it, you know, like un- unfold it and lay it out for a little while before you play it. Because if you don't have a piece of plexiglass, I don't know that we would have been able to yeah, it would have immediately been play I'm, it. I'm all for backbending your boards yeah. to where, you know, you're going against the fold mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. try and level them out. And I couldn't do that with this. And it's silly, but I do like that the player boards come with a male side and a female side. I don't think it's silly, but see, and, and here's a difference here. I wouldn't have cared if they were all female, they were all male. I just I just don't care. Well, there's some games that like certain colors will be male and certain colors will be female. Okay. And like if everybody was like a bug or something, I wouldn't care. But I don't really want to play a male character. So that really matters. Sometimes it does, especially in the game. But like it's just like a video game. I don't play whenever I'm building my characters. I don't play male and I guess I don't play female, so I guess I never really stopped to think about yeah. it. So that's a fair point. Yeah. So that's a nice touch yeah. that they added that mm-hmm. in, right? Yeah, it All is. Right, I like cool. it. Cool. Good. 
Now, as far as the box size, it's a little bit smaller than average. It's 12 inches by nine inches by two and three quarters inches, or for the rest of the world, that's 3.5 by 22, I'll call it 23 by seven centimeters. Now, graphic design, what do you think? It's consistent. The only gripe that I would have is that the names of the pink and blue tracks are not written on the board, but they're referenced on the progress cards. And in the first edition, the little icon for each track was on the player, on the card themselves and not so when, written on out. the progress card. So yeah. when you're reading it, it says... It says move up one on the little pink thing. Okay. You know, it didn't say what it was. Okay. Oh, you're talking the symbol match. Yeah. 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 And that, that was such a huge gripe. Now, it's a minor thing, but it was just aggravating because there, there are 18 progress cards in the game. You pull two out randomly every game. So there's 16. Mm-hmm. There's one for every turn. You turn them over every turn, every round. In the first edition, it said to move the, the round marker. That got removed in the second mm-hmm. edition as well. Now, yeah, should you remember to do that? Yeah, but if you're caught up in what you're trying to do because you have to be so involved in yeah. your planning, it's easy to forget that. And I forgot that half the time. Yeah. But in the first edition... It's the first thing on the card. It's written on the card. And then what you're talking about with the progress cards, I had to keep looking at you and Mm -hmm. Matt, which track is that? And Matt got tired of telling me because I couldn't remember which track was what. Mm -hmm. Just put a symbol on there or name the tracks on the board. Do one or the other because everywhere else in the game, it's the symbols. Yeah. Again, it's a little thing, but it's these little things that add up to make for a... Level of frustration that just doesn't need to be there. Yeah, there's no need for it. Outside of that, though, I think the graphic design is really consistent and really well done. We'll talk about the rule book in a minute. Right. What about the artwork? So I think the artwork actually is really, really well done. I'm a huge fan of the board artwork. It's very understated, mm-hmm. but the use of color for the space or for to re- that is in space, not right. in the space that is the board, but it's all space. <laughs> to represent so. space. Yeah, there you go words yeah really big fan of that and i i dig the artwork on the cards quite a bit Mm -hmm. i feel like the the art the new artwork fits the game more than the first edition artwork okay all right just the feel of it if i feel like that fits more with the gameplay and just the game itself than the the first edition sure i i could see that and it's a little less i mean they're both kind of cartoony but not and i don't know if there's a style that this is called yeah i have no clue yeah definitely a fan of the artwork Mm -hmm. and i don't feel like it uh doesn't attract gameplay at all yeah Mm -mm. agreed rule book clarity and quality So this was kind of interesting to me as we have both versions, right? And mechanically, as I mentioned, the two games are the same. Just the graphics that have essentially changed, maybe some clarifications here and there. However, the layout of the rule book changed. And in some ways it was better, in some ways it was worse. Now, both the original version and the Renegade Games version I thought were easy enough to learn the game from. I didn't have a problem with either edition. Let me preface that. So to learn the game, I thought both did a a fine job. Okay. Okay. However, I felt like the Placentia Games rulebook was significantly better as a a reference rulebook. Okay. For example, they highlighted keywords in consistent bright colors that stood out. So when you're skimming, like how do you... what actions regenerate or get you to regenerate resources as an example, right? You could easily find that in the Placentia games. Mm -hmm. I actually spent five minutes, maybe, maybe three to five minutes, let's say, referencing the uh, the Renegade Games version rulebook and I couldn't find it. He finally just got up and went got the other one. Said, hey, go look in the other rule book. I got up, took me 15 seconds, boom, found it like that. So to me, that's an issue. Yeah. Okay. That's something that should have been addressed or that was changed that I don't think needed to be mm-hmm. changed and to the detriment of the rule book. That said, both rule books are laid out well. And I would argue that the Renegade Games rule book is laid out better and everything is is answered within the rule book. Like I didn't have rules questions after either rule book for that matter. I knew how to play the game. If we had questions, it was there yeah. in the rule book. So I didn't need to go to BGG. 
And also, both copies have plenty of examples to help with clarifying things as well, so props there. And also, there's a nice addendum that explains the science of things that are in the game and, and the why. So I thought that was a nice touch. That's always good for the inner five-year-old that you are. Right. And <laughs> overall, I I think it's a decent rule book. I just, the referencing aspect actually was a downgrade, I felt like, from the first to second okay. edition. So, all right. So, yeah, overall, pretty well done, though, for the rule books. All right. What about setup and teardown, teaching and learning? Well, setup and teardown, really easy with a handful of baggies. Just bag everything up in player color and you're basically ready to rock and roll player color as well as your own pool of resources mm-hmm. etc cetera, etc cetera. sleeves again would probably be smart with the black bordered cards even though there really isn't a lot of shuffling in this game not every day not at all <laughs> teaching overview of the board the player board and the components then just go over the steps of a turn, and the player aid does a really great job of listing everything in which you're going to do on a turn. It is a really invaluable, and it really helps the game just hum along it really, really, does. really well. After that, detail each of the nine actions that are available and the, uh, the player's tech trees, the individual tech trees. Mm-hmm. Remind folks, 16 turns sounds like a lot, but in actuality, it's real quick. And a tight game once you get started. Describe the difference in the end game goal cards. There's easy versus harder ones. Deal them out. Make sure there's no questions. Rock on. All right. So what do you like about this game, Amanda? I like that there's a closed economy and that you have your own resources. Those are a finite number. And how you choose to burn them, use them, generate them, not burn them. You know, all of that is your decision to make. That's a really, really good point. So every player has seven energy, seven matter, and three antimatter cubes. So they're white, orange, and black, respectively. You don't get more. Mm -mm. You you can lose them Mm -hmm. temporarily, possibly permanently. And so you produce them on specific planets, then spend them from those specific planets. But then you have to generate more, and let's face it, that's pretty standard outside of, okay, this planet produces this resource. Maybe that's a little bit different. Right. But it's basic, just general, you know, resource production. However, you only have that pool of seven, seven, and three in which to generate between your planets and then spend. But then you can take, as you mentioned earlier, you can take bonus actions, which you're burning cubes of Mm -hmm. your choice but you're burning resources and you're going to lose them at least on a semi-permanent basis possibly on a permanent basis into the Clausius pit which makes for an even tighter economy of resources and having to choose when and how to burn those precious resources into that Clausius pit for the bonus actions that is a brutal decision sometimes it really is and a lot of times in games like this, if you choose to not do the bonus actions, it can be a hindrance to you. But I don't really care for the Clausius Pit. I very rarely use it. I very rarely take extra actions on top of my one action. And see, I do think that hinders you. It's a matter of negotiating with with your plan and with your strategy of, okay, I'm not going to need as many energy. So anybody that gets extra actions than you, if they manage them well, can do a better job. So I understand what you're saying, but I feel like it does hurt you by not taking those extra actions. But the last time we played, you and Matt were burning like fire and getting getting all of these extra actions and i won quite handily but i think also we took that too far i think you can overburn resources to where now all of a sudden you're not maximizing your production hmm. so okay wow i can produce you know five energy oh but they're all in the clausius right pit. i only have three mm-hmm. now that's going to limit what i can do yeah. so it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. so burning them gets you those extra actions but if you take it too far, too much of a good thing, yeah. all of a sudden, now you've... You have one antimatter left. <laughs> right. You've eliminated your ability to maximize the actions that you can take mm-hmm. later on. So I think that is a really, really clever 
you know, slit your own wrist. It's yeah. entirely up to you. I really like that mechanism. It's, it's really in this cool. Game. It's really good. Well done. I like that there's a freedom in the tech tree. You can take one action to upgrade one, or you can you can upgrade it multiple times. If you have the resources, you can do multiple lines of the tech tree. You're not forced to only there's some games where you can only upgrade one thing per turn. But this, you could, if you have the resources, you can do five or six. Which I think is important, again, because you only get 16 actions yeah. in this game, right? But I agree with you. I like the freedom that I'm allowed to follow. You know what? If I don't care that my ship's only moving one or three spaces per turn, that's on me. Right. I can choose to do that. Or I could just... You know, race up that track to where now, star trekking across the universe. <laughs> he does that every time he moves his ship, by the way, Well, guys. yeah, hello. <laughs> so there's a force limit on everything, not just resources. You're peace limited on stuff. So as I mentioned, you have that 773 for your resources mm -hmm. in your own pool. There is no pool of resources no, it's yours. that are common to any, any player in any regard mm -mm. you only have three ships if you've produced all three and you've parked them on planets you have you not able or you choose not to colonize you're locked down yeah. you have three ships then there's only five chances to colonize a planet so choose wisely you only have five discs which mark colonization you better choose them wisely one of the end game uh, scoring plateaus is did you colonize five different types of planets? Well, if you got two of the same, there went those five points. Yep. And in a game in which you're scoring 30 to 40 points, five is a significant it number. It really is. And then, as I said, you only get one action per round, 16 rounds. So you're limited. The game is intentionally limiting you to make use of everything. So it really is all about efficiency and maximizing and being smart and planning. There's a secret objective card that you get at the very beginning of the game. You're dealt it before you really start playing. And this can help steer you in a direction because I always like that in a game because it helps me, especially if I just can do whatever. If I have one, if I have a direction that helps. So the having that, having that card to give you an initial thought of, Oh, okay. In your example, I have to colonize all five types of planets. So let's get started on that. Right. And there's two different levels of those. There's easy ones, which those are worth less points, or there are hard ones, which the hard ones, an example, which uh, we use the hard ones in the last game that we played mm -hmm. was you had to terraform a minimum of three level two planets. So the planets range from, I think, number one to number 28 in them. And they just get harder. They produce more things, but they're harder to terraform, mm -hmm. and they're harder to uh, and they're harder to colonize. Also, the alien planets. So when I got this this goal card, and you get a couple of them, you choose, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't hard. It's only <laughs> it's only terraforming three level two planets. How hard can that be?" I was able to do it on turn fifteen. Yeah, and that was my focus. So they are tough if mm -hmm. and they should be if they're mm -hmm. you know from the harder deck. And I agree with you. You have to know what direction you're either going to go for that or you're not. Yeah. And you better make that decision at turn zero. Yes. And like the one I had was colonizing uh and terraforming an alien planet. So I had to rush the technology tracks because you can't even, you can't colonize and you definitely can't terraform an alien planet until you're pretty far up on those tracks. So the game is kind of called a 3X of a 4X game. You and I both like Civ games. Mm -hmm. We both like uh, 4X games. So with this one, I would call it more a 2 or maybe 2.5X yeah. uh, because there's a exploration. You don't know what planets are right. out there. There's exploiting them, because anytime you produce resources, you're exploiting the planets, right? Mm -hmm. Then sort of expansion, but in if you want to call it a 3X, I would say expansion in a sense that you're expanding what you can do via tech tree, because there's no realm that you're expanding the borders right. on or anything. You can freely fly wherever you want to Yeah, there's fly. not like a fog of war or anything. Right. And there's no exterminate, because mm -hmm. there's no... 
There's no fighting. There's no combat. There's no confrontation. So I enjoy the two and a half, call it a three X if you yeah, want. Yeah, I do. I, I like that it's not, um, it feels like it plays a little easier and a little faster if you don't have to worry about combat. Yeah, well, you, you don't have to build up a military. Right. You don't have you just, to build you just, up your defense. You just or go anything. to your stuff. Okay. And everybody else goes and does their stuff. Yeah, I'll buy that. The thing that I think is really, really cool about the game is that you mentioned there, are like, I think there's like 28 planets. Every single one of them is an actual planet that has actually been discovered. The name of the planet on the card is the actual name of it. And in the rule book, it has listed every single every single planet and who discovered every single one of them. Including? Including the designer yeah, and that, his brother, I'm assuming, because it's the same last name. That That's pretty cool. I thought that was yeah, really I, neat. I, I think that's really clever. So um, either they're astronomers, I imagine, the designer or whatnot? Or, or a... Uh, Amateur astronomer. An astronomer is an astronomer, right? Whether you're an amateur or not. I suppose. Right? I mean, you're a podcaster, right? Amateur or not. Yeah, well, I'm an amateur. You're a professional. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there is extremely little downtime in this game. They are very, very quick turns, even at a four-player game, even though... Only one player is acting on their turn. The other three aren't doing anything. Unless AP sits, sets in, there's just very little downturn. No. You're just boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Okay, done. That's yeah, that. It goes fast. It does. All right. On the flip side, things that we're not super keen on. There is very little interaction. And because of this, it's more akin to a solo puzzle than yeah. an interactive experience. Yeah, I would say I would say that the only interaction you get is if someone else colonizes a planet that you were wanting to. Yeah, if you're that's but, literally it though. But you can kind of look, oh, you're gonna go ahead of me in turn order mm-hmm. and we're going in the same direction. You might colonize that planet before me. Oh well. Yeah. And if it happens, it happens, I go it. somewhere else. Right. I'm really not a big fan of the catch-up mechanic that's on the player technology chart. We spoke a little earlier about it. It Once you get to a certain level of the tech... Which is like the fourth or fifth step on the tech, right. which is the end, either the, the penultimate yeah. or the end of the on, track. On some of the penultimate ones, once you get there, everyone gets level one. And then on some of the... And on all of the very last ones, all of your other... All of your opponents get either the first... Or the second level of that tech. And I don't like that. I don't think that my technology should be shared with everybody else. I mean, I understand the reasoning. And it's normal. It usually works out that everybody else has usually got level one or level two already. But it's kind of a hindrance and an irritation. Yeah, I completely disagree with you here. How A... I've never seen in any of our games any, there might be one instance in which somebody gets a free bump out of that, but I don't understand how it would be labeled a hindrance. It was for me in our last play because I wanted, I needed to wait as long as possible for, to be able to colonize an alien planet because I did not want you guys to get that free bump. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe it's a a quiet hindrance that I was never aware yeah. of because I just I never really stopped to worry about, and it's never come up. Right, because though that the card I got, like I said, I wanted I made sure that I just raced up those tracks, but I raced up to a certain point and then I stopped because I didn't want to yeah. share my technology with you people. Okay. See, and I don't mind that because I think that that was another layer of decision that it forced upon you. Mm-hmm. That, okay, you want to do this, but you're going to give other players a bump. Yeah. So that's your choice. Or or you go and find something else to do. Which that, is what I did. That works towards another mm-hmm. goal. And mm-hmm. see, I see that as a positive. I don't see that as a negative. Mm. Are you just saying that as a negative because... It was a hindrance to you, and gosh darn it, it shouldn't. Golly gee willikers, Amanda. I'm going to go over there and punch you in the face. <laughs> no, seriously. So seriously, you, don't, I you just, don't like that. I don't. and But like in Sidereal Confluence, that's one of the perks, is that once somebody discovers something, everybody it else gets to. Around, but it shared the following turn, right? And I just, it works in that, 
but I don't like it in this. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't like it. You don't like it. I just disagree. You have the right to be wrong. That's fine. So I don't know if this is a positive or a negative. Now, in a lot of games, you always, or in any good game, there's always going to be more that you want to do than what you can do, mm-hmm. right? However, I feel like the 16 rounds is so tight that you really are almost on rails once you've made a decision. You really have to go towards the one thing that you're going after because you're you're not there might be a hair of deviation that you could do here or there to try and do these other things but it's really tight and so because of it being so tight i just don't know if if it if it's too limiting i guess is what i'm trying to say that's fair and i i mean i'm sure that it was play tested to death and they came up with the 16 rounds is the perfect amount for x y and z reason but it definitely feels like it's you just have to have a really narrow have focus very 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 much tunnel vision but then again Maybe that adds to the replayability, the fact that, okay, I did this, so I'm going now to I'll do, something now else. I'll do something else, right? Maybe. So I guess I could see the pros and cons of both, but I figure it's just, it's just be aware. It's very, yeah. very laser focused yeah. on what it is that you're going to be doing to do well, mind you. As far as scalability now. So on the mechanical side, there are base planets that are always used. And then if three or four players, you're going to add in these others or remove them if you're playing with less and mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. That's an almost non-issue as far as scaling because you're just you're only limited five per player. And there are far more than there are yeah. players. And there's three different sectors, the inner, the medium, and then the far sector. Mm-hmm. And if you're going out to that far sector, you're just... You're just not going to spend a lot of time exploring all these different planets. Right. And also one of the other things that scales is that they're laid out differently. There's a certain number of ones in the inner and then it's a couple, you know, different. There's different numbers for different player types. Yeah, and there's certain stars that you don't populate with less than four players and everything else. And then as far as gameplay wise... There really isn't much that really needs to scale here, and there it, it doesn't feel much different Mm-mm. regardless of the player count because there's so little interaction during the game anyways. I'm really... There's a little bit on the technology, or not the technology tracks, but the two tracks that I can never remember the right. name of, the technical leadership and the colonial leadership tracks. Outside of... Who gets certain goals for, or you get little uh, a victory point shit if you reach the end of the, or not the end, but you reach certain sections, milestone points on there. That's really all the interaction there is. So scaling really doesn't come into play in Mm -mm. this at all. It really doesn't. And now we come to Edward's favorite part of any review where he picks comments from BGG. Now, these are pretty understated on both sides. There wasn't ZOMG one way or the other, Mm -mm. really. Um, So here we go. So this guy talks about the solo game, which I thought would be good since you and I didn't play it solo. Right. So far, so good. This is a tough resource management game where you really have to think of the long game. I want to burn resources every round to take bonus actions. But if I do, I'm probably leaving myself with crippling bad rounds at the end of the game. After a few more solo games, I'm impressed with the design. The resource management is so super tight. And that kind of alludes to what we were talking about earlier. So it's the same for a solo game then. Right. A very tight Euro 3X game with a cool theme. The game has a limited amount of turns, which makes for a tense and tough game. It is one of those games where you feel like you can't do enough each game. I like the theme, and it's used wonderfully here. All the actions make sense thematically, and the game plays surprisingly fast and quite easy to master. Yup, mm-hmm. sounds about right. My major concern is that it might be too samey after a few plays. There's not much variation that can happen, and it seems static. I definitely enjoyed my play and would want to play again, but I fear it will just feel the same. I like my first play better than my second play, as except as expected. It'll be a game that I never request, but will play. So summary? Kepler 3042 is a game that Edward brought home from Spiel 2016. He's yep. told this story many times. It was on his 
radar to check out. And then whenever he went by the Placentia Games booth, everybody playing it had their head in their hands, making it obvious that it was like a thinky game. So he had to have it. And we both enjoyed it. And then when at Origins, Sarah at Renegade told us they were reprinting the game, I was so excited to see that this lovely game would be getting more eyes on it. I really enjoy the game, and it can get lost in other, all the other space-related games. And this one is definitely different. It has a different feel and a different enjoyment level for me. All right. So for me, th- this falls into a weird space for me that Kepler is never a game that I'm ever going to be super excited to play. But it's a game that I almost always enjoy whenever we play it. So it's one of those really weird games. So even though I know it, I still don't feel compelled to pull it off the shelf. Now, what does that mean? I think it's a fine game. And I think it is a multiplayer solitaire game. But given the game length and given the focus that this game requires, I think in the time frame that it plays... I think it's a really solid game. Your rating, sir? Yep, I got it as a four. And the reason for that is I wanted to give it less, to be honest with you. I thought it would wow. be I thought it would be a three. Uh, you know, it's fine. It has its perks. It has its thing. You know, it, it has its place. But, eh. But I think the reason I'm giving it a four is for the simple fact that I enjoy the game every single time I've played it. And when I think about it, I've now played the game, what, six, seven, maybe eight times since we've gotten it at Spiel, at the original Spiel, and now the new Renegade Games version. That's a fair number of plays, mm-hmm. and I'm not sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm glad to be done with that, right. so let's move on. So I think I can justify a four here for me, although I had to kind of justify it a little in my head. So it's a, it's a... It's a solid four, but I had to get there. Wow. And that's funny because it was immediately a five for me. Really? Yeah. I didn't have to justify anything. I really like this game. And I feel like that anytime I play it, I get better at it. And I really like the multiplayer solitaire part of it. I think that's the INFJ. Okay. Personality type thing. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I don't reach for the game to play, but... I, it's going to be really rare for me to turn down uh, to play this game if somebody else wants to. Even after as many plays as you've had? Absolutely. I would still, I would go play right now. All right. Well, good, good stuff. Yeah. So thanks to Renegade Games and Placentia Games for the review copies last year and this year, (laughs) respectively. (laughs) So we appreciate that, y'all. And that's Kepler 3042. I do believe, sir, that you need to go get ready to teach Clans of Caledonia tomorrow for our first stream. Yep. Happy Advent, guys. Yay! It's here. We got to get to it. We'll catch you all <laughs> next week. Bye, everybody.